be back with you on Sunday night. Wasn't this morning a blessing, amen? It was so good to have the preacher with us this morning. And uh, what a needed message on uh, really battling discouragement. And I've been thinking all afternoon that statement that he made that it's not a sin to be discouraged, but it is a sin to stay discouraged. And so encourage yourself today. Uh, there's plenty of negative things to talk about. There's plenty of things to be discouraged about. But as the children of God, we can choose to encourage ourselves in the Lord. So thank God for that. If you have a copy of God's Word, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And um, we're going to pick up in verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And verse number 8, remember to pray for all those that are on the ship over the next week or so as they travel. Pray for them to be safe, that nobody uh, gets sick on the ship, and that everybody makes it back in one piece. Um, I know several went, so pray for them. Um, last Sunday, um, in the morning service, we looked at Paul's writing to Timothy about pastors and bishops in the local church. And today we're going to move on and pick up where Paul gives instructions about the ministry of the deacons in the local New Testament church. So if you've got 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we start reading in verse number 8, just as we reverence the reading of God's Word. And we're looking at the ministry of the deacon this afternoon. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And God, I do thank you for the word of God this afternoon. And I pray that you would use it to feed our spirit, God, to stretch our minds to help us understand more the structure and the function of the local New Testament church. And God, I just ask that tonight you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. God, that you would encourage us, speak to us. God, you can take any text and use it any way you see fit in any life. And so, sweet Holy Ghost, we ask that you would minister the Word of God to our hearts, apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. So we see here the Bible tells us very clearly that the office of a deacon is an office in the local New Testament church. And we see here that this office of a deacon is can be labeled as the secular leadership of the local church or a lay leadership in the church. Um, usually, as far as I know, in most churches, uh, they usually don't compensate the deacons for their ministry in the church as a deacon. And we see that deacons are first introduced in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And I want you to uh, listen as we read in Acts chapter 6. Now I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. We see here that the Spirit of God had been sent on the day of Pentecost. We see that the Word of God was preached, the power of God moved, and many were added to the church daily that were being saved. And we see that there arose a problem in the ministry of the church there in Jerusalem. And when this need arose, 
it gave the opportunity we see in the New Testament for this office and the ministry of the deacon to be introduced. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, just follow along with me. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, so as the church grew, uh, the needs grew. And how many of you know the more people you have together, the more opportunity for problems that you have. Uh, Proverbs says it this way, where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. What that means is if you don't have any oxen or any cattle in your barn, then your barn's going to be clean. It's not going to be full of messes, right? But the proverb says, but by the strength of the ox is much increase. So you can have a clean life, which would be a lean life, or you can have a messy life, and that's a life of multiplication. Um, so we see as the church grows, and we do want to see the church grow, amen? As the church grows, there becomes more opportunity for problems and neglect in the church. Now, we got to be very careful that we never become an inward-focused church. What does that mean? That means a church that's focused only on itself. God has called us to be an outward focused church and what that means is God has called us not to be here for our comfort and convenience but he has called us to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and as we reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ they'll come into our fellowship and when they come into our fellowship it disrupts the status quo it, somebody may get your seat. Oh, no. Let me just say this. If a visitor ever gets your seat, I never want you to use this phrase. Excuse me, ma'am and sir, that is my seat. Listen, don't do that. Amen. Let them have your seat. Uh, but we want to be a church that's reaching out to the world and bringing people in. And when that happens... It causes the dynamic to shift. And that's all right. We've got to learn to be flexible as a church. But as the church was growing, as soon as uh, maybe they thought they had a good system, it would grow, mess up that system. Now notice what the Bible says here in the rest of verse 1. There arose a murmuring of the Grecans against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So what was happening was the Greek believers and the Hebrew believers, we see this, that there became, uh, they thought maybe that the Hebrew widows were getting better treatment, they were getting bigger portions, they were being fed uh, more faithful than their people. And uh, notice what the Bible says in verse 2, Then the twelve, speaking of the eleven apostles that were with Jesus, and then the one they cast lots to add, uh, they called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves, uh, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So the need was that the widows were being neglected. The church was growing. There was neglect taking place. And when neglect took place, they saw a need to add laymen into ministry, which was service of the needs of the people. Now, verse 4, he says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. Um, and so we'll, we'll stop. we won't name all of them this evening. But we see here, this is where the first uh, picture of deacons are added to the church. And so Paul now is writing to Timothy, sharing with Timothy that this office of a deacon is indeed an important 
role and important ministry in the church. Now, Capital City Baptist Church, we don't have any deacons. We, we actually have one deacon. Will our one deacon please stand up? Uh, deacon, this is Deacon right here. Wave your hand, everybody. His name is Deacon. He's the only deacon that we have. Uh, but when I came here, there was no, all, no deacons were being used in the ministry. Um, to the best of my knowledge, we do have some set-aside ordained deacons in our church that have been ordained in other ministries. Uh, one of those is Brother Randy Cunningham. He's not here. He's on a cruise ship. Um, also, I believe Brother Eddie Moore is one of those men from Bible Baptist. I believe Brother Jeff Snyder is one of those men. Is there any other men that have been ordained deacons that I don't know about that are here? Anybody know of any others? Uh, those men are not deacons in this local church, but those men have served the office of a deacon in other churches. And um, so we, we will see God add that ministry here in time. Right now we don't have that in operation, but it's biblical that we do. And um, it's something that I've talked to these men about, we've prayed about, we've put it in our church constitution. Um, and it is a needed biblical ministry in the church. And when it's done right, the church thrives and grows and needs are met. And so we see here uh, the Bible is going to teach us really what the requirements of this office is in the local church. So let's get into the text in uh, 1 Timothy 3. And uh, we'll start in verse 8. I want you to see uh, the deacon as a faultless man. We're going to see what are the qualifications for a deacon in the local New Testament church. Um, and so Paul lays out these qualifications. He says in verse 8, likewise. And now he's referring back to the qualifications of a bishop. And he's saying, likewise, deacons. Must the deacons be grave. Um, he says they must not be double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So a deacon, number one, must be a faultless man. Not a perfect man, but a man that is walking faultless, a man that is walking blameless, a man that is uh, faultless in his temperament. Uh, notice what it says here uh, in verse 8. He must be grave. This speaks of he must be an honorable man. A deacon must live in an honorable way. He must conduct himself in an honorable way, a way that would be blameless or faultless, that no accusation can be brought against this man. And remember what I mentioned about the office of a bishop. It doesn't mean that he has never sinned or he's never lost his temper or he's never acted in a dishonorable way. But when he does, he gets it right with Jesus Christ. He confesses that to his family. He may confess that to a brother in Christ. He confesses that to the Lord. And he seeks to walk honorable in the sight of God and the sight of men. Uh, also, he must be faultless in his tongue. And uh, watch what the Bible says in verse 8. Not double tongue. What does that mean? Uh, it speaks of saying one thing to this church member and then saying another thing to another church member. It speaks of being a double-tongued man speaking out of both sides of his mouth. A deacon must speak the same thing to every group no matter the pressure that is on that deacon. A deacon can't buddy up with one group that loves the pastor and then buddy up with the other group that's trying to crucify the pastor, right? He must not be double-tongued. And all of us have met people in our life that speak out of both sides of their mouth. We call them, what do we, I don't know, well, I don't know what teenagers call them today. Uh, but in, in my, and when I was a teen, uh, we, we called them backstabbers, right? I don't know what people like Brother Lee used to call them back, back 500 years ago. Uh, but they, he didn't probably fool with them, amen? Uh, but look, today there's people that have stabbed you in the back. And a deacon must be a man that will not stab you in the back. Amen? So that's one of the qualifications with his tongue. Also with his temptations. Uh, a deacon must have, be faultless in his temptations. 
Uh, look what the Bible says in verse 8. Not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now there's three areas that really cause most men to fall spiritually. Now remember the office of deacon is a position in the church. And um, when a deacon is in that position, the reason he must be faultless uh, is because other people are influenced by his life and by his witness. It's not a lackadaisical position. It's not just to feel a position. Uh, but to be a deacon means to be held in high regard by the congregation, to be respectable with the congregation. And listen, this man must have his temptations under his control and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Um, listen, there is victory over sin. Amen. But three particular areas that I have seen take out most men, it's money, alcohol, and women. Money, alcohol, and women. And here inside this text he mentions liquor, wine, and he mentions uh, money, filthy lucre. And a deacon must be sure that he has these temptations under control. It says here, not given to much wine. Some make the argument, well, a deacon can have a little wine. That it's alright for him just to drink a little bit. Uh, well, there is some problem with that. One problem is... My definition of a little may be different than your definition of a little. Uh, my definition of a little is a sip, right? You don't need a little bit of it. Uh, but let me give you, a deacon must be above reproach in this area. Let me give you a Bible verse to consider. Romans chapter number 14 and verse number 21. Romans 14 and verse number 21. The Bible says this, Romans 14, 21, It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Uh, brother and sister, uh, in that position of a deacon, uh, if a, dink, a, a, a drinking deacon is a dangerous deacon, amen? I mean, my goodness, could you imagine the deacon out having a shot of whiskey um, and uh, the teenagers of the church seeing him do that? My goodness, that would weaken them teenagers, don't you think? I think it would cause them to stumble in their lives. Uh, this deacon, a deacon must be blameless. In other words, at Capital City Baptist Church, I'll just make it clear, we'll, we'll never have a deacon that participates in drinking. Amen? I remember some years ago there was a deacon at a church that I served and he was at the Hibachi Grill. He was at the Hibachi Grill. There's actually someone in our church that actually partook of this sake as well. I'm not going to mention Brother Jacob's name. I believe it was on act. You didn't drink it though, did you? You spat it out. Same thing that happened to the deacon. He was at the hibachi grill and he said, Hi, hey, sake! Okay. You know, and he was like, huh, sure, yeah. And he shot some sake, right? Sake is a rice liquor in his mouth. And uh, when it happened to this deacon in Kentucky, he spit it out when he realized what it was. Brother Jacob called me and said, I just want you to know I was accidentally uh, almost made a partaker of alcohol and he spit it out. Um, that's just a little side note. Um, so Jacob's not fired. He's in good standing. Amen. Um, but uh, not only in his wine, but also in his wealth. Um, a deacon needs to be in a good testimony financially in his community and in the church. Uh, you ever met somebody? I have a family member. I have a family member and uh, he is a deacon at a church in my home community. And I remember one day a job that I had with a cable company. There was a man that worked inside the shop there and you would go to him and he would replace any tools that we needed. He would give us any fittings that we needed, any cable that we needed. And one day I was in there talking and he said, Hey, are you related to so-and-so? I said, Yeah, yeah, that's my uncle. He said, That man is a crook. And uh, listen, a deacon should not have a reputation of being 
a crook. Amen? Um, and so he must be above this accusation um, in the way he lives his life. Money and alcohol, they have the ability to destroy many lives. So a deacon must be faultless in these particular areas. Number two, I want you to see this. A deacon must be a faithful man. He must be a faithful man. Um, in other words, you don't make a man a deacon to get him to be faithful, right? You look out faithful men that are already serving God and already faithful to God. Listen, having the title of a deacon does not make a man faithful. And um, I remember some years ago I was on staff as a youth pastor. We had a man come in to preach at our church for revival. And uh, it was amazing. I, 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 I think the church never wanted this preacher back because he stood in the pulpit and our church had about 11 deacons, 11 men that served as deacons. And every Monday night our church had a community-wide visitation. So the staff would meet at the church on Monday night. Uh, one or two deacons would come, and we would go out and visit the community. And I'll never forget, Brother Bill Sturm came to the pulpit, and he said, I'd like for all the deacons to stand to their feet. And all the deacons stood to their feet. And he said, I want us to give the deacons a hand. Everybody gave the deacons a hand saying, thank you for your ministry. And they got ready to sit down, and Brother Bill Sturm said, No, deacons, I need you to hold up for a minute. And he said, Pastor Chris... How many of your deacons were on visitation Monday night? I want you to point them out. And he pointed out the two men that were on visitation that previous Monday. I'll never forget, Brother Bill Sturm said, you should fire the other nine. They weren't faithful to the ministry of the church. A deacon must be a faithful man. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Speaking of being faithful. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. This being a faithful man. First of all, uh, they must be possessors of the truth. Uh, deacons, the Bible tells us here in verse number 8, they must hold the mystery of the faith. Look, they must know the Word of God. They must be able to teach the Word of God. You're going to see later uh, this evening that some of the deacons, they were preachers of the Word of God. They, they Listen, a biblically illiterate man is not qualified to be a deacon. He must know the Word of God. He must know the gospel. Amen to that. He must know how to share Jesus with someone, lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, a deacon of the church should be able to take anybody at any time, at any place, and lead them to salvation, to faith in Jesus Christ. Every deacon should be able to work the altar and lead somebody to Jesus Christ. They must hold the mystery of the Word of God, the mystery of faith. Uh, they must be men of conviction. They must know what they believe, why they believe it, and they must be willing to stand on their conviction no matter who's around or who's not around. And uh, one of the saddest things is to see a flip-flopping deacon. I, I've been, this is why deacons have such a bad name. is because many men have been elected deacons that don't have conviction. They don't know what they believe. They don't know that they don't know the doctrines of God's word. Um, they don't know the doctrine of eternal security. They don't know the doctrine of biblical assurance. They don't know the doctrine of the Trinity. They don't know the doctrine of water baptism. They don't know the doctrine of church discipline. They don't know the, the doctrines, the fundamental doctrines of the, of the local New Testament church. And they, they must hold the mysteries of the faith. And not just hold them, but with a pure conscience. They must be men of biblical conviction. They need to know what they believe about alcohol. They need to know what they believe about fornication. They need to know what they believe about what the Bible says about divorce and, and remarriage. They need to know these things. And also they must hold this with a clean conscience. In other words, they don't just know it, 
but they're living by what the Word of God says. They're acting upon the Word of God in their daily lives. The standard of a deacon is a high standard because it says likewise, just like the bishop is held to a higher standard, so the deacon is held to a high standard to have a clean conscience and to have conviction founded in the Word of God. And listen, I'm not talking about conviction that says uh, that a man can't wear a pair of shorts or he can't wear flip-flops or uh, he can't have hair touching his ears. Not that kind of conviction. Uh, A man that has biblical standards and biblical convictions and can share with others the hope they have and the conviction that they stand upon. So they must possess the truth. They don't have to know all the Bible. Uh, I want you to, I don't know all the Bible. I mean, I've read the Bible for the past 20 years, and there's still things I don't know. Um, I remember some years ago, a lady and her husband came, and they said, uh, Pastor John, we've been enjoying coming to your church, and we'd like to have you over, and we'd like to talk to you about your church. We'd like to join your church. And I went to their home one night and had a great time of fellowship, and I made this comment. I said, yeah, um, there's... Some sermons I have to go back and correct and re-preach because God gives me more light and God gives me more insight and a revelation. And I've got to go back and say, you remember a few years ago I preached a message on this subject? Well, I need to add a little bit more to that. Never forget, uh, the lady said to me, she said, Oh, pastor, you mean to tell me that you preach things that aren't always correct? I said, Absolutely. They said, oh, we could never attend a church with a pastor that doesn't know it all. I said, my goodness, every time I read my Bible, God's changing me. Every time I read the Word of God, He is casting more light. Every time I go to the Bible, He's showing me where maybe there's sin in my life or where I didn't understand something in my life. So let me just say, to be a deacon, you don't have to know all the Bible in its entirety, but we do need to know the fundamentals of the faith. And look, not just should we possess the truth, deacons must pass the test. They must pass the test. Look what he says in verse uh, number 10, and let these also first be proved. Um, It's not enough just to say, Uh, we're going to choose brother so-and-so as a deacon and brother so-and-so as a deacon. No, they must first be proven in this area. Um, They are to be examined and evaluated Uh, in the same way that a bishop should be examined in his beliefs, examined in his Bible knowledge, examined in his understanding. A deacon should have that same examination. That's why any time that a deacon is ordained, uh, it's the same process that we would ordain uh, a minister of the gospel. Uh, There's an ordination council. There's questions to the candidate. They're proven by uh, questions. They're proven by their Bible understanding, their Bible knowledge. They're proven by their character. They must give testimony. Uh, They must have a good testimony. Um, It's not just because you're a man you can be a deacon. They must first be proven. And uh, then after they have been proven... They are to be promoted in this area. Then it's, it says in verse 10, Then, only then, let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Then and only then are they to be accepted in this office as a deacon. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many pastors that I have spoken to over the years that have allowed someone to become a deacon because of a friendship instead of biblical qualifications. And here's the problem they have. They say, Brother John, I can't get them out of office. Well, no, the truth is you can. It's just going to hurt. Amen? You can get them out. It's just going to hurt to do it. And so a deacon must be evaluated and examined and proven before he's to be publicly have hands laid on him put in this office as a deacon. So we see a deacon also. Number three, I want you to see this. Uh, The deacon as a family man. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 11. Even so must uh, their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, 
you'll notice that we did not get a qualification for the bishop's wife. We didn't get any qualifications for that. Um, I don't think that it's wise to use scriptural assumptions and apply the qualifications of a deacon's wife to a bishop's wife. I think where the Bible is silent, we should remain silent. And where the Bible speaks, we should speak. I think that is the safe way to read our Bibles and interpret the Word of God. And so it is interesting here that uh, the deacon's wife has to also meet certain qualifications. Um, We see here uh, that the deacon's wife, um, listen, the deacon and his wife are in the ministry together. We see that here. And therefore his wife must be qualified for him to be qualified. The wife of a deacon can ruin the ministry that her family has to the church. So therefore she must be qualified. Look what it says. It says here about her character. The Bible says she must be grave. Same thing as her husband. She must be an honorable woman. She must be an honorable woman. And... um, You think about that. We all know dishonorable women and we know honorable women. So she must be honorable, able to be honored and to held up as an example to other women in the church. You don't want a deacon to be in office if his wife is a bad example to teenage girls. Amen. You don't want the deacon's wife, to be in a position of that much influence if you would not want the young girls of your church to be like her in some regards. Amen? Uh, Her character must be one that's grave and honorable. Look, her conversation. Look what the Bible says here. It says um, the deacon's wife must not be slanderer. She must not be a slanderer. Um, Look, this is... uh, Did you know the Bible uses... This same term for the devil, he's a slanderer. Uh, Deacon's wife should not do the devil's work. She shouldn't accuse people falsely in the church. See, a deacon sometimes is entrusted with very precious information. And usually that deacon shares that information with their wives, and they should, amen? Uh, I'll say this, um, if you... For me personally, when you're talking to me, if you don't tell me, you, I'd rather you not share this with your wife, I share it with my wife. Unless you tell me, please don't share this with your wife. Then I'm going to share it because we pray for the people of our church. We pray for each other. And I need Brandy to help me carry that burden. A deacon's wife, she must not take sensitive information to tear down other women in the church or to tear down other men in the church. And so she must have her conversation must be godly conversation. She must build up, not tear down, right? And we all know that uh, it's easy for the tongue to tear down people, amen? And did you know it's easier to tear people down than it is to build people up? And uh, a deacon's wife must have discipline in her conversation. Look, not just in her character and her conversation, but look, in her concern. Look what it says. She must be sober. This word means she must be steady and self-controlled. Here's the opposite of that. Hysterical. In other words, she mustn't panic. She mustn't flake out. She mustn't be ditzy. She cannot have bipolar. Sorry, that I guess that is a serious term people use these days. But listen, she must be sober. She must be sure that she's steady and that she's able to listen, that she's able to be involved and not overreact in certain situations. She must have this soberness, this self-control, and this self-awareness to minister. You know, I I can't tell you how many times I hear things and my face wants to go, huh? 
do what? And I'm doing that on the inside. But I've got to be very concerned on the outside like, hmm, I'm so sorry. But on the inside I'm saying, you have no sense. How in the world could you think and say something like that? You know, a deacon's wife must learn to be able to carry that same demeanor as her husband and as her family ministers to the needs of the church. Must be uh, sober. She also must be consistent. Look what the Bible says in verse 11. Faithful in all things. A deacon's wife must be faithful in all things. She must be a consistent in her Bible study, consistent in her prayer life. I've heard some women say, yeah, my husband's a deacon, but then that woman, she gossips. She doesn't have Bible time. She doesn't have prayer time. She's not a good witness of the church. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you don't meet the qualifications to allow your husband to be a deacon. And so we see here she must be faithful to attend church. She must be faithful to tithe. She must be faithful to minister and to pray and to be involved in the work of the ministry. So we see here uh, the deacon's uh, family man. We see his wife and her qualifications. And then we see the husband's walk as a family man. Look in verse number 12. Let the deacon be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So we see that a deacon must be a good husband... And he must be a good father. Um, He must be actively engaged as a husband. In other words, a deacon that neglects the needs of his wife is not qualified to serve and meet the needs of the local church. Amen? If he's not caring about the needs of his own wife, how can he care about the needs of Jesus' wife? And so if he'll neglect his own wife and neglect his own duties as a husband, uh, then he's not qualified to serve the people of God. And so the Bible teaches, Paul said it this way, that um, a man, when he marries, he has to care about the things of the world, right? How he may please his wife. And um, that's one thing I'm learning more and more along the way is ladies have different needs than men. Amen to that, gentlemen. Isn't that the truth? I mean, men are pretty basic, pretty simple. I ain't going to give you all the details now, but there's just a few basic needs. But one thing I've noticed about the beautiful creation of women who are so special and high and blessed. Am I doing all right, ladies? I mean, and so favored by God is every day is a new test as a husband. You know, let me give you an example. My wife's not in here, so she can't really rebuttal me like she did on Wednesday night. But listen, you know, my wife, you know, she, I love her and it's a joy being her husband. And every day I have to pursue her because every day she changes. It's unreal to me. Um, so uh, it's just something, I don't know if it is to keep men engaged and pursuing and wooing and all those things. Uh, But, you know, uh, there was a season when we were first married. uh, Brandy, she just, she always wanted me to hug her and just put my hands on her shoulder and uh, hold her hand in church and lay my hand on her knee. She said, John, I just feel so loved when you touch me. And I said, all right, well, praise the Lord. So, you know, I'd touch her and give her a kiss and and rub her hair and all these things. Every time I pass by, I'd just touch her and somehow, and then some time goes by and she says, why are you touching me? And I said, hey, baby, you know, I'm loving you. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know. And she's like, give me some room. And I'm like, well, my goodness, this worked yesterday. You know what I'm saying? And I said, well, so then I pout for a few days. You know what I'm saying? I start pouting about it. I sulk about it. And then she finally says, well, what's wrong with you? And, and I say, well, you know, I, I, just, I just want to learn how to love you better, how to be a better husband to you. Uh, you know, what makes you feel loved? She says, well, right now I'm telling you what, if you would just sweep the floor and if you would empty the dishwasher, I would feel so loved. 
She said, you know, I've got, you know, I got a few children now. They're always touching me. I don't want you to touch me. I said, all right, well, praise the Lord. So, you know, I put on my little apron and I get my broom and my dustpan and I'd, I'd be sweeping the house. And boy, I'd be thinking I looked all like romantic, you know, sweeping the house, you know, all this stuff, getting the corners, getting all this up. And, uh, and then after a few weeks, all of a sudden, you know, she just wasn't paying me no attention, wasn't really. And I said, hey, look, you know what I'm saying? Look how clean that floor is. You know what I'm saying? I've swept that floor five times this week. I've mopped the floor this week. I've emptied the dishwasher. And she says, oh, that don't mean nothing to me. She says, my goodness, I got so much laundry over here. And this, and I'm like, and look, almost, we're going to be married 17 years next Saturday. And let me just say this. The Bible says that we should dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Amen? And to not be bitter against our wives. You know why the Bible says that? Because men just have three basic needs and they never change. It don't matter if he lives to be 120 years old. And sometimes as men we just think, my goodness, why can't she just be all right? So the Bible warns us, don't get bitter with them. Pursue them. Learn them. Get to know them. Listen, deacons must be engaged in pursuing their wives and getting to know their wives and making sure that she is taken care of. Amen? Look, not only as a husband, but also as a father. Look what he says here. Um, ruling their children and their own house as well. Um, it's not just enough to provide the material needs of children. A deacon must meet the emotional, spiritual, physical, and mental needs of his children. He must rule them well. He must lead them well. He must love them well. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Amen? But listen, we can pursue and be engaged with our children. In other words, I've seen deacons in my time that neglect their wives and neglect their children to serve the church. And that is not all right. Amen? That's not all right. Their first ministry is their wife. Their second ministry is their children. And then they can be qualified to minister to God's people. So listen, I think that a deacon should be at their children's ball games instead of a deacon meeting. I think a deacon should tell the deacon board, no, we're not having a meeting next Thursday night. It's my wedding anniversary. But so many deacons... It's easier to serve the church than it is to serve sometimes our own families. And deacons must be a good husband and they must be a good parent. Listen, the, we see here uh, the home is the training ground and proving ground for a deacon. He learns to lead with kindness and compassion. He learns to discipline and correct. He learns to manage power and wealth in the home. And so this is the deacon must be engaged in his home life. And let me finish with this. We see that the deacon also is a far-sighted man. What does that mean? Uh, let's look right here in verse 13. It says this, For they that have used the office of a deacon well, watch this, they purchase to themselves. Now listen, uh, a deacon must be a visionary man. A deacon must be a man that is looking beyond. He must be looking into the future. He must have a desire not to stagnate, but to stay on fire for God. Listen, being a deacon is not a period. It is not a point where I have arrived. No, it says here that when you use the office of a deacon well, you purchase for yourselves more opportunities. And uh, so being a deacon is not the end result. Amen? It, the Bible speaks of being a deacon even as a stepping stone into more faithful and useful ministry. Uh, it's amazing to me uh, how some think, well, becoming a deacon is the pinnacle of that. All. No, absolutely not. Uh, we see here that when the office of a deacon uh, is used well, um, watch what should happen here. It sh he should be evaluated in his work. Uh, so watch this. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, they purchase themselves a good degree. Uh, listen, the deacon should be evaluated in his ministry. You know why? 
you must inspect what you expect. Amen? And a deacon should be evaluated in his job. Now, why is that? Because if a deacon is doing his job well, he purchases for himself a higher degree. He purchases for himself more influence. Look what it says here in verse 13. Um, it says this, uh, And great boldness in the faith. See, a deacon that uses his office well, he purchases to himself a great boldness in the faith. Now, let me tell you, two particular deacons in the Bible will be finished here. One is Stephen, one is Philip. Now, when you read about Stephen and Philip, you realize they're not just serving tables anymore. Amen? Like, they were brought on to serve tables. They were brought on uh, to make sure the physical needs of the church was met while the apostles continued in the spiritual work of the church. So the apostles, they were not serving food and cooking food. They're not above it, but the deacons were meeting that need. They were preaching the word, evangelizing. The deacons would go and visit sick people, and the apostles would preach the word and pray. The deacons would go and make sure that the people's needs were met. But watch this. Stephen and Philip, you're going to see here that they must have been faithful and they must have done a good job in the office of a deacon because you're going to see here that Stephen, he starts preaching, he starts performing miracles and Stephen, he's no longer serving tables. Why? He has earned himself an even more advanced position in the ministry of God. Not a more special position, not a more honorable position, but all of a sudden now Stephen starts actually having the, the evidence like the apostles had. He now is preaching and doing miracles. Did you know that Stephen was the first martyr in the New Testament church? Do you, listen, Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin. He was brought before the religious leaders of his day. And listen, they sought to destroy him. But listen, the Spirit of God was with Stephen. And the Bible says that they couldn't stump him. And it says that he had the face of an angel. And they got so angry at him that they stopped debating him because his wisdom was so superior. They began biting him with their teeth. They began gnashing on him. They drug him out. They took stones and they stoned him. And when right before he died... The Bible says that the, those that stoned him, had, they had taken off their coats and they had laid them at a man named Saul's feet. And the Bible says that Stephen, this deacon now that had purchased for him a good report, he now had a boldness in the faith. My goodness, that he was bold in the Lord. And, um, and we see here that nobody could stump him. And the Bible says he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Listen, the Bible tells us every other time that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And let me just say this, Jesus isn't going to stand up until he raptures the church out of here. Amen? But listen, Jesus stood. Why? Because Stephen, this deacon, this deacon that had a good report, a good testimony, served tables well, did not get in the way of the apostles. Now God's using him to preach. God's using him to bring conviction. And Jesus stands not for Peter's death, not for Paul's death, but he stands for the deacon Stephen's death. And my goodness, I can imagine Jesus saying, look, this deacon's dying for me, the very one I died for. Well, what an honor that is. See, he, was, he didn't just say, well, I'm a deacon, I'm done, I've arrived. No, he went on for God to use him. Now look, this second man, Philip, he was a deacon. I want you to see, Jesus gave a command in Acts 1.8. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told His disciples, He told His 11 apostles that were left, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me. Now watch this. Both in Jerusalem, notice these areas, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. Now, was he told that to the uh, apostles, the 11 apostles. Now, watch what happens here. The 11 apostles, they get busy preaching, right? But guess what? They stay in Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem and the Judean area. They stop there. Now I want you to see what the Bible says in Acts chapter number uh, 4. Acts chapter number 8 and verse 5. So Philip is a deacon serving tables. But all of a sudden the Bible says this. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Where did Jesus tell them to go? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Guess who was the first person in your Bible to obey taking the gospel to Samaria? The deacon Philip. And when he was in Samaria, there was a great revival that took place. How did he move from serving tables to preaching revival in Samaria? He was faithful at being a deacon. He purchased for himself a good report and boldness in the faith. So Philip is preaching revival in Samaria. The Spirit of God calls him to go to a desert place in Gaza. And guess who he meets there? He meets an Ethiopian man. A man from Ethiopia. Philip led that man to Jesus Christ. And that Ethiopian eunuch went back to Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, a deacon must be farsighted. He must look beyond the walls of the people that he serves. He must have vision. Listen, a deacon mentality cannot be an us four and no more. I've met so many church leaders and church staff they can't grow their church because their deacon board has a us for no more. They're not farsighted. They're not looking beyond. They're not looking out. They're not helping get the gospel out. And so this office of a deacon, it's reserved for those that meet these qualifications. It's a high, high standard. Amen? And so um, this is what the Spirit of God teaches and uh, it's what we must stick with. Amen? We must stick with that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time together this evening. Thank you for the Word of God that inspires us and instructs us. And